Hola and welcome to Catholic View on this Thursday within the Easter Octave. It's great to be here with you. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Shayla Pierce. And coming up in today's edition of Catholic View, being a Thursday, of course, we take a look at our woman feature. Today we focus on Mary Magdalene, Saint Mary Magdalene. But first, a quick and brief look at some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. So do stay tuned. This is Archbishop Guti Kakhale of the Catholic Diocese of Johannesburg. You are listening to Radio Veritas, the good news for a change. In your headlines this Thursday evening, Pope Francis announces canonization of Fatima Shepherd children. Patriarch Bartholomew expected to join Pope Francis in Cairo, Egypt. And UN and African Union strengthen cooperation in peace and security. Good evening once again, I'm Sheila Pirish. Pope Francis this Thursday announced that the two young shepherd children from Fatima, Francisco and Jacinta Marto, will be canonized during his forthcoming visit to the Portuguese town on May 13th. During an ordinary public consistory in the Vatican, the Pope announced the canonization of a total of 35 people, the majority of them from the 16th and 17th century Latin American martyrs. Francisco and Jacinta Marto will be the youngest non-martyrs to be canonized in the history of the Catholic Church. During an ordinary public consistory in the Vatican, the Pope announced the canonization of a total of 35 people, the majority of them 16th and 17th century Latin American martyrs. They include 30 Brazilian priests and lay people killed by Dutch soldiers for their refusal to convert to Calvinism during the colonization of northeastern Brazil in 1645. Three other martyrs were young Mexican boys, educated by Franciscan missionaries and murdered for their refusal to follow the local indigenous religion. The new saints also include a Spanish priest who founded an institute for abandoned children at the turn of the 20th century, as well as a Capuchin brother from Naples who defended the rights of the poor in his day in the early 18th century. But undoubtedly the best-known names on Thursday's list of newly proclaimed saints are those of Portuguese brother and sister Francisco and Jacinta Marto, the shepherd children who, along with their cousin Lucia Santos, saw the apparitions of Our Lady in Fatima, exactly 100 years ago. Unlike Lucia, who became a nun and lived to the age of 98, Francisco and Jacinta died in childhood, aged just 9 and 11, as a result of the great flu epidemic that swept across Europe in 1918. On May the 13th of the year 2000, the two of them were beatified by Pope John Paul II during his pastoral visit to Portugal. Meanwhile, the case for Sister Lucia's beatification concluded its first phase in Portugal earlier this year, and is now being examined at the Congregation for the Causes of Saints here in the Vatican. 
Egyptian security forces have tracked down and killed a gunman suspected of involvement in an attack near St. Catherine's Monastery in southern Sinai that left one policeman dead and three wounded. Islamic State claimed responsibility for Tuesday's attack on a police checkpoint about 800 meters from the monastery, one of the world's most important Christian sites. The attack came days before Pope Francis is scheduled to visit Egypt and just over a week after two days deadly suicide bombings on Christian churches. In just one week's time, Pope Francis takes off on a journey to the Egyptian capital Cairo, where he will visit the prestigious Al-Hazar Center of Islamic Studies. The Pope will also be joined there by the spiritual leader of the Orthodox World Ecumenical Patriarch, Bartholomew, as well as the Coptic Pope, Tawadros II. Archbishop Michael Fitzgerald is the former nuncio to Egypt and former head of the Vatican's Council for Interreligious Dialogue. He talked to Philippa Hitchin about the importance of this short but significant papal visit. Well, it is significant in that he goes to places where there are difficulties, I suppose, and we know that the situation in Egypt is always one of uncertainty with extremists who are against the institution and against Christianity. Christians in a particular way. It's not the first papal visit because Pope John Paul II went before in the year 2000 and was received remarkably well and I'm sure that Pope Francis will be received very well. What I think is significant is the you know, the relationship between Pope Francis and uh, Pope Tawadros, because they call him a Pope, the Copts. And as you may remember, the first journey that Pope Tawadros did once he had been elected as the Patriarch of Alexandria for the Coptic Orthodox was to Rome to see Pope Francis. And they got on very well. And I'm sure that this will be uh, another moment consolidating this, this friendship uh, between the two popes. In terms of the relationship with the Muslim world, what difference can this make, this visit to Al-Azhar? Well, it again, it consolidates what has gone on very recently, that the dialogue with Al-Azhar has been renewed after a time when it was uh, cut. So the imam came to see the pope in Rome, and this is reciprocating this visit. I think that is one of this, the main uh, motives for the pope's journey, is to say, imam Dr. Tayyib came to see me, I'm going to go and see him. And, you know, that, that is highly appreciated. And now a quick look at some African news. A framework signed on Wednesday will enhance cooperation between the United Nations and the African Union in the areas of peace and security. It follows a meeting in New York between UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres and Moussa Faki Mahamat, Chairperson of the African Union AU Commission. UN News DNPEN has more. The two leaders met at UN headquarters in New York for the first AU-UN annual conference. Mr. Guterres told reporters that they shared a common vision regarding peace and security, inclusive and sustainable development, and human rights and good governance. The UN chief observed that changing security conditions across the world have necessitated a strategic review of UN peacekeeping operations. He called for greater international support and funding for operations such as the African Union mission in Somalia, AMISOM. Mr. Guterres also spoke of other ways the two organizations will work together. 
We will align the Agenda 2063 of the African Union for Sustainable Development with our own uh, Agenda 2030 and create the conditions not only to work together but also to have common lines of reporting and uh, to be able to indeed avoid all forms of duplication and guarantee that we converge in the same objective to make uh, the Agenda 2030 and the Agenda 2063 a success story in Africa. The Secretary-General underlined that they also will work together in areas such as prevention and in creating conditions to empower young people on the African continent. And finally, 17 new mass graves have been found in an area of the Democratic Republic of the Congo, DRC, that's seen months of clashes between government soldiers and local militia. In a call for an independent investigation, the UN Human Rights Office, OHCHR, said that DRC troops were reportedly responsible after clashes with Kamuina Naspo members in Kasai provinces in late March, which claimed at least 74 civilian lives. The development in the vast and resource-rich country comes amid ongoing uncertainty linked to President Joseph Kabila, whose second term in office ended last December. ONHCR spokesperson Liz Throssel explains. UN investigators visited the Kasais between the 5th and the 7th of April, where they were able to confirm the existence of 17 further mass graves. And that brings the total number of mass graves that have been confirmed to 40. Well, the UN investigators, the UN team on the ground spoke to people there and from the information that they gathered, it seems that the soldiers from the armed forces of the DRC were responsible for for digging these mass graves. There were also clashes with presumed members of the local militia that's known as the Kamwina and Sapu. And they got information that more than 70 people, including 30 children, were reported to have been killed by soldiers during these clashes. So that was clashes in one area. They also had reports and got information that soldiers were reported to have shot dead at least 40 people in the Nganza commune of Kananga. And this happened reportedly while soldiers were going door to door looking for militia members. And there was also further violence in another commune that's called Katoka, that's also in Kananga, where this time the police were reported to be carrying out searches and the reports of three people being killed there, including a month-old baby. The High Commissioner said that the discovery of, of, of these mass graves, more mass graves, and the reports of continued violations, abuses, just show how important it is to have a meaningful investigation into all alleged human rights violations and abuses by all parties. I've spoken about uh, reported killings by, by soldiers, but there's also violence that's been carried out by the militia members as well. So what the office is saying, what we're calling for is a meaningful investigation by the DRC government. But should there not be an effective national investigation, then we're calling on the international community to support an investigation by an international mechanism. The UN Human Rights Office has offered its assistance to to help the DRC authorities conduct a credible investigation into these alleged abuses and violations in the Kasais. So it it is a a relationship of, of offering assistance, being prepared to help, but repeating our call that it's very, very important for the UN Human Rights Office to have access to all sites of mass graves, to witnesses, including those in detention. So really, we would stress that it's important that the the DRC government embarks on a credible investigation and we stand by ready to offer our assistance, 
But should no national investigation be forthcoming, then it's really important then that the international community steps in. Meanwhile, Cardinal Laurent Mosengo Pasinha has invited his compatriots in the Democratic Republic of the Congo not to yield to discouragement and the spirit of fatalism. The Cardinal said this at the weekend in a homily read in all parishes of the Archdiocese of Kinshasa on Easter Sunday. And that was a brief look at some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. You're listening to Catholic View on Radio Veritas 576 AM. Otherwise on 870 DSTV or and I'm Sheila Pirsch. Coming up next on this Thursday's edition of Catholic View, we bring you our woman feature. Women on the African continent are generally treated as second-class citizens. They do not enjoy the same positions as men. We say to girls, you can have ambition, but not too much. You should aim to be successful, but not too successful. Otherwise, you will threaten the man. Some men refuse to invest in the education of their daughters because they say they will soon get married. Because I am female, I'm expected to aspire to marriage. I'm expected to make my life choices, always keeping in mind that marriage is the most important. But why do we teach girls to aspire to marriage and we don't teach boys the same? We raise girls to see each other as competitors, not for jobs or for accomplishments, which I think can be a good thing, but for the attention of men. Feminist, a person who believes in the social, political and economic equality of the sexes. Women on the Forefront, a program dedicated to women who are making a difference. Welcome back to our Women Feature. In 2016, Pope Francis decided to raise the celebration of the Memorial of St. Mary Magdalene to the dignity of a liturgical feast. In today's Women Feature, Dr. Notando and I look at the story of Mary Magdalene. Let's listen. was the first lady to announce Easter when she discovered that Jesus was no longer in the tomb. We're talking about Mary Magdalene, but of course, as you may know it, I'm not that intelligent, so I'm joined by Dr. Notando, who's going to talk to us a little bit more about Mary Magdalene and the figure of Mary Magdalene in our lives, not just as a woman who followed Jesus, as a woman who was always there, but also as a woman, as an example for all of us ladies. Dr. Notando, Welcome to Catholic View. It's great to have you here. Thank you very much. And I would like to object to your self-description as less intelligent. I would uh, fiercely dis- dispute that. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. I'm humbled. <laughs> yes, Dr. Natanda, let's talk about Mary Magdalene. Who was Mary Magdalene? Um, Mary Magdalene has got a, a very interesting history, but if we go to the Gospels, um, she, you know, she's described um, as the Mary whom Jesus, um, you know, uh, delivered from uh, demon possession. Um, and uh, but but what is interesting is the occurrence is is the context in which uh, she's mentioned in in Scripture. 
if we look in Luke chapter 8, she's mentioned as one of the women uh, who accompanied Jesus. Uh, Luke is very uh, clear that um, the company of Jesus, the, the group that, uh, the community that Jesus traveled with was comprised of both the, you know, the disciples and many women. Yeah. And some of them we've never heard of, you know, yes. Joanna. And that, that's the one that has been intriguing me these past few days uh, because uh, some, many of those women simply disappear from history. Uh, which is something that is uh, very disturbing because they play such an important role um, in, and, and Luke makes it clear that they were supporting from their own means uh, the ministry of Jesus. And so they were part um, of, you know, listening to him teaching and part of the community um, that he belongs to. And then at the moment on the cross, uh, we know that Mary Magdalene was there as well. They were the ones, the women stood uh, with Jesus in the time of pain. They didn't run away. They they faced, they they supported Mary, uh, his mother, and, and understanding just the trauma of seeing her son, um, you know, uh, you know, beaten and crucified, and also seeing somebody whom they loved, they traveled with, they spoke with, um, you know, in that condition, they stood there, and 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 they were the ones they that even after when he was brought down from, you know, the cross, they were the ones who were able to say that's the tomb. They were able to recognize the tomb where he was buried. So we we sense the woman as not being in the peripheral of the Easter narrative, but at the very center. And and, and I think it, it, um, it becomes uh, disconcerting uh, when their role is not given uh, the, the, the force that it deserves. Right. Um, and, and it raises even more questions about, you know, what about the role of women? It's indicative of the status of women in churches that if we look at churches in Africa, uh, 80% of the, the parishioners yes, yes, are women yes. and they are the ones that are supporting, making sure that the church survives without women. Really, we can't even imagine the, any parish would survive. Women uh, are the backbone. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And we know that without the backbone, the, the body simply cannot stand or even survive. And so the recognition, I think, is, is very important mm. uh, the, to recognize the obvious. Um, and to, to be able to say that our story, our liturgy, our celebration is incomplete without acknowledging these voices and giving them the centrality that is due to them. And, 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 and I think that, um, needs to be something we need to go deeper into and to be able to say that is the, the next, uh, um, you know, a revision of the liturgy should really uh, centralize the, the role of women. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in that way, you know, it, it, it provides an opportunity to link the roles of women already in the churches and to strengthen that as something that is sacred, that is a, a significant uh, part of the, of the survival of the church. And, 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 and I think that needs to be made, um, and not, you know, have this disappearance. And going back to Mary Magdalene, um, you know, so she announces, uh, that she's the apostle of the apostles. She announces, uh, the, the, the gospel for the first time, the resurrection. That's right. And somehow she just disappears when you look into the, the acts of the apostles. There's hardly any mention of her. 
and well the rest of the new testament she's not mentioned That's and right. and even if you go into church history uh that you know we know that it was pope gregory who in the sixth century who mistakenly re- referred to her as a, as a, as a sex worker yeah. um and then there was a sense in which she was always referred to as a sex worker. And that's very disturbing because if you look at Peter, Peter betrayed Jesus, but he's never referred to as Peter the betrayer. Exactly. So so we are already finding a lot of uh, intentional sexism that is, uh, you know, part of our history right. because the, she's con- she is, uh, you know, she, she is the apostle of the apostles. Mm. And that wasn't even, her, her, you know, you, you know her her work or her role and um and then when you know we know lately that they have reversed but for centuries imagine being for mislabeled we've lived like that, every time right. yes mislabeled and diminished and excluded mm. and so therefore by labeling her in that way then there is the excuse to kind of like um you, you know uh, ignore the role that she played because mm-hmm. the, it kind it, it it provides like a cover up yeah. for that so it's it's very disturbing um you know for us uh, as theologians when we see these kind of things happening um you know in the lives of women there's when there's not only no acknowledgement but there's a, like a deliberate way of you of know exclusion of pushing her aside yeah, and right. not recognizing the important role that she has played in the you know the whole in the life of Jesus mm-hmm. and and of course the other gospels they the ones the apocryphal, apocryphal gospels that are not you know part of the the four gospels mention her mm. uh, mention her as the one who taught the apostles mentioned her as having a you know close relationship with jesus mm-hmm. and and i think that's where you know the whole um what is what is this guy's name um the, the brown um uh, the one who wrote the book about uh, mary magdalene getting married to jesus Oh, you mean the Da Vinci Code? Yes, Da Vinci Code, yes. So the Da Vinci <laughs> now, Code. another controversial yes, yes, story. Yes, controversial story that, you know, brings back uh, Mary Magdalene, but also in a controversial way, which yeah. is very interesting because it means that she, she really evokes something that exactly. whenever she's brought up, you know, she, she, there's something, that there's you something, want to talk yes, about. yes, that's right. That, and the, yeah, you know, speaking of recognition, I was very happy mm. in 2016 last year when Pope Francis elevated, you know, yeah. um, Saint Mary Magdalene. Yes. Now it's a feast day. It's Absolutely. a feast day. Yes. She is recognized. I yes. think that's uh, one of the many wonderful works that Pope Francis has done in Absolutely. trying to recognize the work, the labor yes. that women have put into the church. Yeah. And starting with Mary Magdalene, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a great way. I mean, Oh, it is. Yes, it took centuries, like you've said, but, uh, you know, it's a step in the right direction. Absolutely. And it's good to see that more and more people, the new generation, will be talking about Mary Magdalene. Mm-hmm. They'll be, you know, they'll want to know more. Who was she? And yes. that's exactly what we're doing today. Mm-hmm. I mean, how often do we talk about um, a woman in the Bible? Until I met you, of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, definitely. And we need, um, you know, as scholars, and there's a lot of scholarship that is going on um, looking at Mary Magdalene. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also, like, um, really looking at the way in which in both Da Vinci Code as well as in the false representation as a as a prostitute, yeah. is 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 putting her in putting her sexuality um, as somehow as um, the yeah as the of forefront exactly exactly instead of her personhood as a disciple of of Christ who she is exactly. and then 
as a disciple of Christ, she reminds the church and all of us that the disciples of Jesus included women. Exactly. And, and I think that, and, and therefore women can be dis the disciples of Jesus in a full sense of the word. I mean, Jesus came for all of us. Yes. For all uh, humankind. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And then as just as much as the, the work of the male disciples is celebrated, so therefore even we need to know and we need to dig further what, Mary Mag what happened to Mary Magdalene, where did she go, so that her full story is, becomes part of our tradition. Yeah. yeah, we know what happened to, uh, you know, Peter, the Apostle Peter, and, you know, how he was crucified. But all these other women that we were following Jesus, to them. absolutely, they just disappear. They just disappear. And, and we need, I think, as theologians and scholars to, to investigate their lives so that we raise them up, mm -hmm. so that they become part of our tradition and part of our consciousness. Uh, right. Because in that way, the female voice can, can, uh, you know, can come back into the tradition um, really, you know, with, uh, with dignity and with equality as the male voice as representing the communion of Jesus, mm. you know. But mind you, looking back at um, orders as such as the orders of the order of preachers, the yes. Dominicans, they've always taken Mary Magdalene as their saint, yes. you know as the patron saint. So th there is also another type of acknowledgement, even Absolutely. though it was somehow parallel to yes. the same time that she was being portrayed as a sex worker. Yeah. Here is a group of friars who, mm -hmm. dis who saw mm -hmm. her role in the Bible, in the journey, in, yeah. the, in Christ's journey, and said, you know what, let's take her as our yes. saint. Yes. So there, there's, there's some acknowledgement there mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. So it's great, it was great to learn about that as well. But now, um, today, how do we see uh, Saint Magdalene? What is the story? Um, what, is the, what is the picture that we carry of Saint Magdalene? When we pray to saints, we mm -hmm. often have, you know, you have your different prayers mm -hmm. to the different saints. Mm -hmm. Now, when it comes to Saint Magdalene, what are you praying for? Mm. Oh, I like that question. You know, um, as you were talking, I just, uh, you know, thought about how uh, St. Magdalene, because of the, her misrepresentation, uh, she has been, you know, the patron saint of many of the rehabilitation homes for sex workers. Um, and so now, um, and, and then again, it raises the, 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 the question of why that particular trade is being treated with the, you know, the, with the kind of contempt that, that it is. And, um, you know, it's, so that's a different conversation altogether, uh, because of really, um, trying to frame everything that we do in the language of human dignity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's the, the frame. And I was, uh, you know, thinking, for, uh, wh what would make, uh, little girls in, 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 in parishes, uh, stand up and, and be proud and, 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 and feel that Mary Magdalene represents, uh, what it means to be, um, a female discipleship of Christ, mm. uh, somebody who um, is able to engage with, uh, you know, the faith. She wasn't ignorant. Uh, somebody who is able to do 
you know, to to live that life, to live close to Jesus, to have a conversation with Jesus and somebody who doesn't have to be um, a man. Mm-hmm. Somehow elevating the female voice in within the disciples of Jesus to say Mary, Mary Magdalene was a disciple of Jesus, and so that little girls uh, get to understand that the the community of Jesus included women. They were also equal disciples of Jesus, and they were also able to preach. She was the first one to to proclaim. Uh, the the good news, yeah. so they're able to preach and they're able to uh, to be entrusted. You know, the angel entrusted her with the message, um, and so there is nothing faulty about women. We can we can be entrusted uh, to preach, to proclaim, to be full. Um, you know, disciples of Christ, um, and and the, and there's nothing less than that. Uh, little girls should know, and all women. Uh, in the church, so it it, it really is um, a homework for me because I want to really go deeper into that, uh, yeah. so that we we maximize the raising up of Mary Magdalene as a saint and and have her in our conscience. We have to exercise that that cultural uh, teaching about her being a sex worker, and uh, and also why would that um she, she was redeemed and everything why would that be a stigma that she has to bear all the time mm-hmm. which is which for me i have a problem with yeah. but uh definitely to lift her up as a proclaimer that women can proclaim mm-hmm. um you know women can understand the the words of jesus they can be theologians they can be preachers they can be they can do what is necessary in the kingdom of god and mary magdalene represents that I like what you're saying about proclaiming because it takes me back to what Pope Francis said in the, uh, you know, when he was announcing the changes with regards to Mary Magdalene. He copied the words of Archbishop Roche. I hope I pronounced that yes. right. And Archbishop Roche said, St. Mary Magdalene is an example of true and authentic evangelization. She is an evangelist. Yeah. Just as you were, as you were saying, yes. she's an evangelist who announces the joyful central message of Easter. Mm-hmm. So already we have an Archbishop who is seeing yeah. um, Mary Magdalene as a proclaimer, as somebody mm-hmm. who belongs in that group of evangelists. Absolutely. So there we go. So maybe that's something to look at when mm-hmm. we pray to Saint Mary Magdalene. Mm-hmm. Magdalene. We pray mm-hmm. to her as the joyful announcer. Exactly. If one can put it that Absolutely. way. And and the you know we, we call we pray for a um, uh, for women uh, yeah. to be you know a joyful announcers of the words to be, to be the preachers ones who bring joy in yes. our lives. Let us be the light. Let us yes. let women be the ones that bring joy. Yes, not just in families, but in the workplace, in all that we do. Let mm-hmm. women be the ones that bring joy. After all. Lots of people look at women and they say they are the flowers mm. in the little garden. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> if one can put it that way yes. as well. Yes. So, yeah, it's great to see that um, St. Mary and, Magdalene has yeah. been elevated to, you know, a, a, a saint as well as having her own feast day, mm. something that we started in 2016 and it's going to carry on. So we need to talk more about her Absolutely. and encourage more and more young girls to follow the footsteps of Jesus to know that whether you're a girl or a boy, you are allowed to proclaim. You are allowed yeah. to be in the forefront and mm-hmm. be the be a witness mm-hmm. of what Jesus has done 
for mm-hmm. all of us, for all mankind, humankind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think we need to uh, maximize um, all aspects of uh, Mary Magdalene and, and, and really lift her up and use that as an opportunity and to 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 say to girls and to all women to raise our status in the church as the proclaimers uh, of and the teachers of the good news. Um, yeah, I'm I'm very excited about that. Well, like you said, your homework is yes, that's my homework into Saint Mary Magdalene as a theologian, a yes. proud theologian here in South Africa, representing us on different platforms. You were recently in Rome. I think this is something that we should be looking at in one of your next uh, trips. Yes. Um, talk more about Saint, Magdal- Saint Mary Magdalene, mm-hmm. who she was and who she is today in our lives. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's, it's really something and to, um, you know, to center uh, the, 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 the shifting roles of women in the church around a particular woman saint who was the closest friend to Jesus. And, um, I think that would be, that would be empowering, uh, to, to women. And, uh, because m- many of us are close to Jesus and we needed a model, uh, to be able to lift that up, um, as, 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 as an equal disciple, um, on all levels. And so I think it's an exciting project. So there you go to all our candidates who will be receiving, uh, who will be doing their confirmation yes. in these coming weeks. When the bishop or the archbishop asks you, who is your saint? What is your saint name? You have a female saint yes. name that you can choose for yourselves. Thank you, Sheila. Thank you very much. I'd like to thank once again Dr. Notando Hodebe for talking to us about the joyful story of St. Mary Magdalene, the one who announced Easter. Well, that brings me up to time. This has been your Thursday's edition of Catholic Viewer, program produced and presented by Sheila Pirch for Radio Veritas. I'll be back again tomorrow evening at the same time. Until then, God bless you and ciao, ciao. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Sheila Pirch. Yeah.